1: Two and two, Collins hits it high in the air, center field, Santana back at the wall, it is gone! First Major League home run for Zach Collins is also his first hit, and when he touches home, the smile will land on his face. Welcome to the big league, Zach You're listening to 670 The Score. It's Saturday morning and 52 weeks a year. It's Inside the Clubhouse with Baseball Conversation. I'm Matt Spiegel, and he is Bruce Levine.
0: And we are pleased to have Zach Collins, the young uh, first baseman catcher, DH, uh, kind of does everything for the Chicago White Sox. Join us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Zach. How are you this morning.
2: I'm doing great. How are you guys? We
0: appreciate you uh, joining us. We know you have a night game and to get up uh, a little bit early in the morning and uh talk some baseball is uh is fun for us and we appreciate your time. When you look at your first stint with the White Sox, Zach, and now coming back, um I know yours is not the reason is not to reason why but to do what they tell you to do. But um were you surprised initially that you didn't play as often as you could have the first time around
2: um not really i kind of knew uh what i was coming up here for is just kind of get my feet wet and and uh see how everything was and, and uh get to know everybody and um really i mean I, I enjoyed my time i learned a lot when i was down here the first time and and uh, i knew what i had to do and i went back and made some adjustments and and uh, look forward to continuing learning up here
0: Please share some of those with our listening audience and us uh, this morning about a couple of those adjustments that worked well for you.
2: Um, I mean, the main thing was just approach. Um, you kind of have to change your approach or change uh, the the way you're going up there to hit um, by, I guess, by leagues and stuff like that, different types of pitchers and stuff. But... Um, yeah, I went down there and and worked with Frank Meneghino, the hitting coach down there, and and uh, he helped me a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. I I got uh, I got pretty comfortable with what he was telling me, and and I just kept working on it every day. And and now I feel uh, I feel pretty good with where I'm at.
1: You've always had a tremendous eye, Zach, and the the walk numbers, the on base percentage numbers have been there. Is it as is it is it as simple as as at the big league level, you have to prove to pitchers that you can rake. Before you can prove to them that you've got a good eye, you know, we kind of watched some of that with Juan Moncada over the last couple of years. We're like, he was trying to show everybody what a good eye he had, but 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 you got to show him that you can actually hit. Is is, is that part of the thought process?
2: Uh, yeah, in a way. I mean, obviously, I'm going up there to hit. I'm never going up there to to look for a walk. But um, trying to swing at pitches in the zone obviously is, is a big thing. Um, and, and a lot of guys up here pound the zone a lot a lot more than guys down in the minor leagues, but. Um hmm. I mean obviously uh Johan made some adjustments last year between the striking out looking thing and and obviously uh it's helped him a lot so uh that's one big thing that I can learn from and and um it's uh it's it's going to be a learning process but I look forward to it.
0: The great debate around uh, your abilities and they have still such great high hopes for you in the organization at the tender age of 24 is are you a catcher first baseman d h uh how much say so do you have in that? How much faith do you have in the ability to do any of those to uh high expectations
2: uh yeah i mean uh, i feel i feel comfortable with, with uh wherever they put me right now but um obviously um in order would probably be catcher first baseman d h um that's that's uh what i've i've always gone by i've always wanted to uh catch my whole life and I worked pretty hard at, at uh, staying behind the dish and I thought I've done a good job at it. And, um, I look forward to, uh, keep getting better that behind there.
0: Is that still a convincing act for you? Do you, you still feel you have to prove that to, to your, uh, front office, to your coaching staff, maybe to yourself, that you are, uh, a big league catcher?
2: I don't think so. I definitely don't have to prove it to myself. Um, and I, and I think they have a uh, pretty, pretty good faith in me behind there and, um, I got some good compliments back there or back when I was down here before when I, I caught a couple of games and, um, everything was positive and, and, uh, I thought I did a good job. So, um, I just, like I said, I just got to keep working and getting better and better. And,
0: and he's catching um, tonight. I am. Yeah. I am
1: you know everybody says that catchers develop some of them late some of them weird like it's just and we've seen it throughout guys are like 27 28 and like oh wow no he is a full time catcher what is what, what what is that about um I, I wonder what what do you think you still have to like get dialed in to be a big league catcher on on an everyday basis
2: um i think i'm there now honestly but um like i said the, hmm. there's uh, just little things like um, learning how to deal, deal with older pitching and, and learning how to communicate with guys and um, learning how to do scouting reports was a big thing for me when I came down before um, and then obviously working on the on the basic things like receiving blocking and throwing um, that, that'll always be a, a thing that you have to try to get better and better at but um, honestly right now I feel like I can go behind there as a as a starting catcher in the big leagues and be fine.
1: Um, James McCann is, is quite something in the way that he approaches things uh, mentally and in terms of preparation and, you know, just about everybody on that roster, it seems has been like, Whoa, that that guy's, that guy's doing a lot. Um, uh, did you, did you learn some stuff from James, even just your first time up here for, for a couple of weeks and, and, and still now in terms of conversations that you guys can have together?
2: Yeah, I did. I did. I tried to, uh, I mean, I learned a lot from him in spring training, but when I was down here before, I tried to kind of leave him alone on days that he was catching and uh, let him do his thing. But uh, on days that he wasn't catching or on days that I was catching, I tried to learn as much as I could from him and, and look on on how he does the scouting reports and, and how uh, I can kind of use the things that he does and, and kind of do them my own way and, and um, just be more prepared every day and stuff like that. And he's really good at that, so it was pretty cool.
0: You know, there's a couple of trains of thought. Uh, I'll share you with, with you and Matt this. Uh, when Wilson Contreras came up, he was known as an offensive catcher who had to, you know, really work on his defense to continue to not only stay there, but to satisfy the front office and the pitchers that he was catcher first, offensive player second. Um, does that resonate with you that, um, you know, the catching position is not about uh, having a 950 OPS or hitting 20 home runs. It's about uh, on a day-in and day-out basis going through the grind with your pitcher and uh, sharing a win.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that definitely comes first. I mean, um, being behind the plate every day, you have a huge impact in the game every day, no matter what happens uh, when you're in the box. But um, obviously that's something that, that I still have to – Prove to the, the front office and and uh, obviously my teammate says that I uh, I take catching pretty seriously and and uh, I look to win every game behind the dish and and really I mean not not that I'm I don't care what I do in the box when I'm when I'm catching but um, catching definitely comes first and, and uh, if we win a game no matter if I'm over four with four strikeouts I I could care less if we win the game <laughs> and I'm behind the dish so. and
0: and people don't believe that but it's true it, it really. For a, for a winning mentality, for a team mentality, for an individual, um, if you were the star in little league and you hit home runs and you were the catcher, it evolves, doesn't it, Zach? To the point where, no, you know what? Someone else has to. They can hit the home runs. I gotta. I have to make sure I I put the right fingers down. I frame the right pitches. Uh, that we call the right right things for everything behind the dish.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um... I When I won my first game behind the dish, um, I think uh, I went like maybe 0-3 uh, with three Ks and a walk or something, and I felt like I was 4-4 homers because uh, <laughs> I won my first game as a big league catcher, and that was pretty big for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I just got to keep working behind there every day and, and uh, continue to get better. Uh,
1: people talk about your personality, Zach, and even just now talking to you and, and hearing you, you enjoy the hell out of this game, don't you?
2: I do I do yeah i I like the the challenge it's a challenge every single day you got you got different guys in the mound you got different guys um thrown to you it's it's uh it's a challenge every day it's a tough game to play and and that's why it makes it awesome
0: okay, walk up music uh what is it, why, and uh what is your genre of music that you enjoy
2: um right now, I changed it um it is should have been a cowboy by Toby Keith. And uh, I, I like to uh, I like to listen to country music. I'm really all all around. I listen to rap, hip hop, um, uh, really everything. But um, right now I'm pretty big in the country, just because I guess it's getting uh, closer to the off season, and and uh, <laughs> I like to go hunting and stuff like that. So uh, that's that's a big thing for me. It's it,
1: fun. It, it, Zach, the um, uh, it, Dylan Cease and Giolito and some of these other guys have really embraced this. Uh, kind of the mental skills part of of the game and they they meditate a lot. I've seen video of like those guys all lying around on the ground at spring training, all meditating together. Have you, have you done any of that? Do you, do you believe in that at all? Have you tried that stuff?
2: Um, I haven't. I, I visualize some stuff, but I don't meditate and stuff like that to the level that, that they do. Um, you know, pitchers have a, a little different mindset than some guys. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: but you, but you you visualize some. What do you visualize? Try to visualize a success or comfort level in certain situations, that kind of thing.
2: Oh, always success, always success. Um, I like to to visualize the starting pitcher that night and um, kind of what he's going to try to do to me, or what I think he's going to try to do to me, and, and uh, visualize success against him. Um, always hitting the ball hard and and. Uh, the ball well, so that's pretty
0: big for me. Zach, good luck tonight uh, behind the plate, and I know you're going to enjoy the heck out of it, and I, I hope they give you the opportunity to catch about seven or eight more games here. That would be, that would be fun for me as a reporter, fun for me as a fan to, to get to see you uh, expand your horizons a little bit behind the plate the rest of the year. Thanks for taking some time out on a Saturday morning to join Matt and myself, and continued good luck down the road. We'll see you at the ballpark.
2: Okay, thanks. I appreciate you guys.
0: All right, thanks. Thanks, Zach. Zach Collins, uh, interesting guy. Yeah. Fun guy. Some swagger, too. When I asked him to come on the show yesterday when I was at the ballpark, I said, you know, you got a night game. You know, what are your feelings about doing stuff in the morning? He goes, I like talking baseball all the time. (laughs) So if you want me to come on, I'll I'll be happy to do it. I, I always try to gear the level of enthusiasm and comfort of a person before you ask them to come on and. I think it, it showed up pretty well today.
1: You know, you don't have to look very far uh, to find a catcher who, you know, in his mid to late 20s, all of a sudden had it click for him. You can look a couple lockers down if you're Zach Collins right. and see James McCann. You can look down yeah. in Atlanta and see one of the stalwarts and the leaders of their team is Tyler Flowers. Right. It's like some of these yeah, guys right,
0: who were considered uh, semi-failures yes, elsewhere. McCann, yes. you know, like... Co- uh, i think i told you this before cody westmoreland who does a fantastic job of running our uh our web as far as uh the editor for six seven the i was writing uh you know a little preview of james mccann and what he could bring to the party this year that after you know he was an ab- abject failure with detroit last year he said you're wasting your time you know talking about this guy you know he's he he's not very good. I don't need a paragraph two paragraphs on James McCann. <sighs> so he wasn't wrong in his premise. But my my thought is with a catcher, as you brought out to him, sometimes you know it's an off and on again idea about where are you success, what are you good at, and yeah. from one year to another can be a huge change in your numbers on the field. And the number one thing is that they have to be a good leader for that pitcher on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. And if they are, if they have that personality that they can lead and communicate, then keep giving them a chance because they might get good enough at some of the other stuff that it all adds up to a useful package. Hall of
0: Famer Pudge Rodriguez, a lot of people uh, told me including Ozzie Guillen that he never bought into calling necessarily the right pitch but he'd, he'd, he'd call for the pitch that he could throw somebody out with. So if it was a stolen base type guy on first <laughs> and you had somebody up at the dish that was a vulnerable to breaking ball, Rodriguez would call a, a fastball because he wanted to be able to throw him out. Yeah. So when he came over to the Marlins, Ozzie told me that him and the other coaches said, no more of that blank here. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We're not we're not trying to set a record for having the highest percentage of uh, throwing out guys in history. We're trying to win baseball games. And that's to a a guy who was already a a certified Hall of Famer when he Mm -hmm. went to Miami. You know, when Wilson
1: Contreras came back this week for the Cubs and the first thing he did defensively is be the catcher for John Lester it's it, you could see as you're watching it you're kind of reminded all right this is what he brings to right? john lester he has lester's back in a way that that you really got to watch to sort of figure out like Throwing behind the runners, whether he gets a guy or not, he's helping Lester relax and control those runners. He's, you know, he's going to use those um, those cat-like reflexes to go and get anything that's in front of the plate. So Lester doesn't have to worry about that. He's also like exhorting Lester
0: to to yeah. show up no, for good pitches. I, and that
1: doesn't come overnight, no. And, and he had to be helped and taught yeah, by David had, Ross
0: to do it and, and exactly. And in spring training, when you're watching him and Rizzo and Lester on a backfield probably 10 times during that spring training, Mm -hmm. working with a base runner and a guy at the plate just to get that comfort level. So uh, John is comfortable in his delivery. We know he doesn't throw over to first base, but he is in the top three or four pitchers in time from delivering the ball to home plate. So so they've convinced John, you know, we have one of the best throwing catchers in the game. You're quick to home plate, step off once in a while. That's how we control the running game. And that comfort level is huge for John Lester, and it's huge for all the pitchers once you've sold yourself as a catcher.
1: Yeah, it was interesting this week to see Contreras' value completely yeah. evident just right. in his energy and what he brings to the table. And
0: everybody was talking about uh, before he got hurt, well, you know, maybe he's not the defensive catcher. You know, Maya's coming up in the system. He's probably the guy maybe we can trade Wilson Contreras. Well, you saw what happened for a month there when he was out, and they missed him defensively greatly and maybe even more so in the middle of that lineup. Well, he was sitting on off-speed pitches this week and just destroying them. I mean, once, you know, what's been the difference in the Cubs offense when it's been good now? It's been Contreras being there and Zobrist, not Zobras, but um Schwarber being dropped down to where he's been after leading off for all those all those times uh, early in the season.
1: Yeah, there's some uh, some failures and some successes in that lineup yep. that um that we sh- we could discuss before we get out of here. Also injuries to Javier Baez and injuries to Yu Darvish.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that coming up. 670 the
1: score is where you are. It's inside the clubhouse. Dial it up and get involved if you want. Phone lines open right now for the rest of the show. 312 644 6767 to get in on inside the clubhouse on the score. Welcome back in on
0: Inside the Clubhouse,
1: right here on 670 The
0: Score. Hey, we have uh, some things to promote, don't we? we got a a great um, remote going on today, don't we?
1: Later on today, it's the Miller Lite Top Draft broadcast. Julie DeCaro and Peggy Kaczynski. Peggy. That'll be nice to hear her on the score She's air the again. Greatest. She is the best. And Olin Cruz, so the three of them today, from four o'clock until five thirty-five, that's out in Lombard at JT's Porch, Saloon, and Eatery, six sixty-five West Roosevelt Road. Again, from four to five thirty-five this afternoon. Julie and Peggy and Olin Cruz.
0: That's not to be missed. It'll be fun. Anytime Peggy's involved with Julie, that's uh It's going to be awesome radio, so a lot of fun out there.
1: Uh, Tomorrow morning um, on Hit and Run, uh, Bruce, uh, a few different guests, but one I'm really looking forward to talking to is the man who was the high school coach for Lucas Giolito, Max Freed, and Jack Flaherty. Very nice. So he's the guy. Giolito was the outgoing senior. Flaherty and Freed were the youngsters. And look how... Flaherty might be the best pitcher in in, in the National League in the second and, half. And
0: Freed has been awesome for the the Braves. Um, Just
1: got his 15th win. Giolito yeah. almost got his 15th and, win. And uh,
0: Giolito credits this gentleman with a lot of his success this year going back to the basics that he taught him.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the same guy. How many I,
0: high school coaches did he have?
1: Well, this guy now is the athletic director. All right,
0: now I'm confused. I know.
1: Well, we'll find out. All right. Stay tuned tomorrow morning to find out.
0: All right, but it'll be fun radio. Who else you got on tomorrow?
1: Um, I know Eno Saris from The Athletic uh, will be on tomorrow um, talking about some of the developmental trends. I've been thinking about Eno. Uh, oh, yeah, right. I've been th- thinking about him um, and thinking about some of the developmental stuff as we've brought up the word reckoning that Theo right. Epstein brought up to us about, uh, about the Cubs. And yeah. um, tell people what's going on with Javier Baez, who's, who was a sudden scratch two days ago and then also didn't play yesterday and now is getting an MRI.
0: Well, head diving, you know, diving in head first, which everybody is accustomed to as far as being a baseball fan now. It's not a good thing. Javier Baez had two injuries in the minor leagues uh, one of them, I, I believe, a broken hand uh, that kept him out in the minors, and now uh, because of another dive, and that's that's what he does. Because Avi's Avi, um, he is uh, going for an MRI on his thumb area to see what uh, the problem is. He tr- he was in the lineup Friday. They uh, they he tried to grab a bat and just wasn't feeling good, so. This is a major concern. If uh, Javier Baez is out for any lengthy period of time, mm-hmm. uh, that's tremendously uh, impactful. Russell can do the job. Nobody's better than Baez there. Certainly his offense has not been there in the last month or so for whatever reason. But uh, from the perspective of every day being there, uh, he uh, he is one of the better defensive players in the game. And uh, we're um, looking at this, and I'm sure the Cubs are hoping that the MRI is negative in that it's only a couple of days, but this has been uh, nagging at him for um, now a few days now. If you remember the collision at second base where he got kneed in the head and he suffered this uh, this injury to his thumb area, and hopefully it's not a dislocation
1: on um, uh, you know looking at the lineup, Bruce, um, Jason Hayward, his last nineteen games. Has an OPS of 425. Is that that bad? Last 39 games. It's an OPS of 571. You you mentioned Javi Javier Baez the last 20 games. An OPS of 603. Right. And then the one that maybe is the most troubling. Chris Bryant, the last 34 games. An OPS of 663.
0: You know what? Uh, The OPS is a telling stat. But uh, look at... If you want to look at another number, look at Anthony Rizzo, whose OPS is in the nine hundreds. Because the but his production is not good, you know.
1: Yeah, you were looking since July first, six homers and thirty RBIs. So the OPS doesn't
0: tell you everything you need to know about. Um, It's been outside of Schwarber, um, you know, a few other people. It's been. Castellanos has been like an MVP since he got there. Mm -hmm. As Doug Glanville said, he's been the Mike Trout of the Cubs uh, since he got there. But uh, honestly, um, and Schwarber has been hot as hell lately. I mean, he has really cleaned up his game, and the numbers, if you like numbers, continue to go up in all areas, including OPS and uh, run production. But in reality, the inconsistency in the second half of the offense joe has been talking about it. until we get our offense settled until we start approaching the ball properly till we stop swinging at pitches outside of the zone we're not going to win a lot of games and and that's it they're a 500 team that's what they are basically uh 5 or 6 games over 500 in the last uh, 100 games.
1: What are we to make of Chris Bryant having a brutal stretch in a very important moment for the Cubs and in a, in a season where he is healthy? He is seemingly he, you know, healthy. No, he really isn't. You don't he, think no. so? he
0: hasn't been healthy for weeks, you know, maybe over a month with this knee. Uh, he's had to take some timeouts. Uh, I know he does an awful lot of uh, getting ready, with the trainers and with the medical staff to get out there. The knee has been uh, bad, and he's not going to complain about it. But you've seen Joe have to take him out of the lineup as recently as the other day. And uh, I I think you can see it on the swing. I can see, you know, it's a plant leg. I I can see he has no power. He has no uh, continuity going to right field at all. It's always a pop-up or an undercut swing there. So... Mm. I'm not making excuses for him. I'm telling you what I know, that um, this is not a healthy player and that uh, you're seeing the end result. of uh, It's not being good. But, again, he's got a lot of company there. They, they they have lacked production. They have lacked consistency. And outside of Castellanos, and like we said, Schwarber as of late, uh, you can score 10 runs maybe once a week, and the rest of the time you're struggling to get one or two runs a game.
1: I'm looking here at an article on MLB.com, the most likely off trade candidates by Anthony Castrovance. And really yeah. it's like
0: Bryant is on number one.
1: Bryant is there. Mookie Betts is there because the Red Sox will have some decisions to make about Mookie Betts. And he has
0: two years left as well. Agreed. And yes, and then
1: Francisco Lindor is here. Two years left. Uh Bryant and Schwarber also two years left. It's, uh, it's
0: really interesting. So we've we've just hit on something here of the most obvious guys to be traded and why these are superstars i mean you know three of the three of the guys you named have been in that superstar category why would they be traded with 2 years left the ph- philosophical point of that is uh organizations now look at 2 years like it's their last year of their contract Because to get optimum amount back for a player who you don't perceive you're going to be able to sign to a long-term contract Mm -hmm. means that you you can get really great value back now. But if you wait to the last year of their contract, you're not getting that. So you're stuck. So that's why it's important to understand that clubs look at these guys as almost being free agents because they want to get optimum amount back if they're having trouble being able to sign them to long-term contracts.
1: I'm reminded of the conversations surrounding Jake Arietta for like his final three years under club control of when will they trade him? Will they trade him? Will they sign him? Will they offer him an extension? What are they going to do with Jake Arietta And what they ended up doing, and I'm not sure when they decided to was just let him play out his contract and use all of his usefulness and then say goodbye as he went On his merry way. Is there a scenario where that makes the most sense for Chris Bryant, who perhaps is going to wait all the way until free agency, that you just let him play out these final couple years, get maximum value for him as a player, and then let him go away? If that's what he's going to do. If I'm running
0: the club, no. You, You get
1: proactive and try to make a deal beforehand.
0: Well, here's the thing. I've been told they've been trying to sign him since 2015. And it's his prerogative and his right, and he's a great player that he wants to wait until later on or when he is a free agent. And he's not a greedy guy. He doesn't want his money now. So he's made a ton of money. He told me that in spring training. He said, look, you know, I've made, in his last two years here, I've made $23 million. Mm -hmm. He said, "That's, that's a lot of money in real people money. He said, we're not hurting for money in this family, he said so i don't concentrate on the contract i concentrate on my playing and having a good season every year that that's fine for him for epstein and hoyer it's are we going to ever be able to sign this guy and if we can't is are we best off trying to move him this off season and getting three top quality young players that we feel will you know give us a jumpstart on our next window of opportunity to win.
1: Or if you do it right, our immediate plug-ins to your current well, it's, window.
0: You know, it's like what the Yankees did. You know, the Chapman trade for Torres. You know, they took a minor step backwards. They still won over. They were over five hundred in uh, 2016, but they knew they weren't a playoff-caliber team. Um, they stepped back, and uh, they made a couple of great trades with Cleveland, uh, they made a, a, a they made a trade with uh, the Cubs to get Torres. What is Torres now? Torres is on the verge of being the Yankees version of Mike Trout. I mean, he's not going to be a five tool player, but he's going to be a four tool player. Mm-hmm. That is probably going to be an All Star for the next six or seven years. So, from that perspective, um, you have to look at the reality of the situation and saying. If this guy doesn't want to sign with us now and our minor league system is not flourishing, we need to jump on this right now and maybe trade him. He's not the only one. I mean, they could trade any number of those guys that are going to be free agents in two years. Schwarber, Baez, Rizzo. Contreras. Right. But ideally, they're going to be able to sign a few of those guys Mm -hmm. and be able to project them long term. In the meantime, it's been a struggle.
1: And don't I always think when the Yankees, yeah, they got Gleyber Torres. They also traded Andrew Miller. And while they got Clint Frazier, who has not uh, been super productive for them, they also got Justice Sheffield, who ended up going to Seattle for James yeah, Paxton. Yeah, we, we saw
0: him pitch against the Cubs.
1: Right, and Sheffield went to Seattle for James Paxton, and Paxton is pretty much right. the Yankees' ace that's, right now.
0: That's what it is. I mean, that's, that's what you look at. And, flip, flip. and <clears throat> Epstein warned us, he said— we're going to develop a very good farm system here, and not all of them are going to play for the Chicago Cubs, but all of them will help us in our journey toward being playoff and World Series champions.
1: Tyler and Tony, hang on. We will get to your phone calls among the rest of you right after the break. That's for sure. 312-644-6767 67, 67 if you want to hop in. It's Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Welcome to the Big Leagues, Danny Holtzen. Danny Holtzen, uh the left-hander for the Chicago Cubs, Bruce. It's is, a good story, isn't it? It really is, and he, he's finally here. He's been terrific at AAA and not a lot of usage, and I, I don't know that he's going to be an important part of the bullpen the last three weeks. He um, might. He might. Uh, I mean, there's an opening, right? But when you look back on the 2011 draft, which included in the top 11 picks or so, the likes of – George Springer, Francisco Lindor, Anthony Rendon, Javier Baez, Trevor Bauer was number three, Garrett Cole was number two, or was number one, and Danny Holson was number two. Yeah. He, he finally gets to the big leagues today, whereas all those other guys have had a long, long it's run. It's a wonderful already. story. Yep. You
0: know, congratulations to him. And uh, he has pitched very effectively in the bullpen for Iowa. So hopefully he will help fortify Joe. And knowing Joe. He'll be there in about the sixth or seventh inning today to get a tough. <laughs> you get Moustakas or, I mean, what would be better than his first first guy he faces is Yelich?
1: Sure. Go ahead. Anybody. Are,
0: you're here. You're in the big leagues. Uh-huh, welcome no to No breaking it. in. We're we're going for the playoffs. You get him out, you're going to get another opportunity.
1: That was Derek Holland's first moment as a Cub. He was like, here you go. Here's Christian Yelich in Milwaukee. Here you go. Good luck, yeah. everybody. Go to the phone lines. Talk to Tyler who is calling us from Whitewater and is on the score. Good morning, Tyler. Hey, guys. How's it going? Very good. good. How are you? Good, good. Um, so I haven't looked too much into it, and I, I mean, I haven't looked at what uh, uh, the parents' record is, uh, double A for White Sox. Um, but I heard the name Omar Vizquel
2: go around a lot for, uh, like, a potential uh, future manager in uh, MLB. So I, I – Know the Sox are kind of sold on Ricky and want to give him a chance, and said that you know are committed to him being there when the
1: Sox are uh, you know good and are competing again. But uh, what are your
2: thoughts on Omar Vizquel possibly? You know, I don't see him being the Sox manager in the future. Maybe um, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I know San Francisco is going to be
1: looking for a manager this off season with Bruce Bochy retiring. Mm-hmm.
0: There'll be a there'll be a number of places. Was he asking about so, the – are you asking about the Cubs? No, White Sox with White Omar Sox. Vizquel, right? White Sox,
1: White Sox, yep, yep, Omar Vizquel, yep. Thank he's,
0: you, uh, Well, he's yep. got a good reputation. He's bilingual. He's a winner. I think Omar Vizquel will manage in the big leagues at some point. Uh, they are still Ricky Renteria people at the White Sox right now, so there, there's no separation. Will he get a job? You know, when he says San Francisco, that makes sense. Philadelphia if they don't make the playoffs. I think Kepler's days are over as the Philadelphia manager. I know who the next manager of the Philadelphia Phillies is, don't you? It's it's not you're you're not saying it's uh Joe Madden?
1: Yes. Oh, okay. That, that's the next manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Doesn't it make all the sense in the Mr. world? Mr.
0: Pennsylvania?
1: Yes. I mean a team that is ready. To win right now and needs yes. and needs a guy to, to speak to both generations of
0: players. I am hoping that he stays with the Cubs because I think he's a sensational manager and a great leader. But I, you know, the thought has come by me more than once. I've heard it from more than one or two other baseball people. So, you know, I think what you're onto is accurate. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, they Joe is old school, new school. So he's both. You, so you can go with your metrics department. Aren't gonna those people aren't gonna roll their eyes and pass out if they bring him in.
1: He's perfect for that. And, and that that ownership are the ones who forced Charlie Manuel back onto the staff um, a, a, in a way that he, because of of their displeasure with right. Kapler and some of that stuff. I think Joe Bridges every bit of those gaps and Mister Pennsylvania, as you
0: mentioned. Again, you know, the, the money issue with Joe is still to me the major reason and no one will talk about it and no one's going to agree with me, but I'm telling you that no one is paying $6 million anymore for managers. Bochy's retiring, making six. Joe is making six. Uh, Terry Francona is making four. Uh, Bob Melvin's probably making three and a half. Um, After that, Everyone else is making between eight hundred thousand and one point five and that 's the new edict for managers. you know you have uh Cora, uh, who won a World Series last year, signed a three year extension It maxes out at about one six or one seven mm-hmm. i mean it 's incremental raises of fifty to one hundred thousand dollars now for managers, not millions so again, the issue is. Is Joe the right guy for the Cubs, or is he making too much money? Can we offer him
2: less?
1: This is Tony on the north side on the score. Good morning, Tony.
2: Hey, good morning, guys. I've got a question about trade windows, if you will. Addison Russell and Kyle Schwarber, I've heard all year that, and even last year, well, you can't trade them now because they're at the bottom of their uh, trade value. Uh-huh. But if they were playing at their expected levels, all-star levels, you couldn't trade them then because you need them. You wouldn't so you would talk my about question, trading them. Yeah, my question then is, when is the window to trade a guy if you can't trade him when he's really good and you can't trade him when he's really bad? Thanks, guys. It's a great question. <laughs> it
1: really is. Yeah. It's a, it's a, such a tricky game to figure out exactly when the right moment is.
0: I, I don't think, first of all, I, I don't think the Cubs are trading Schwarber because he's a left-handed power bat, And more importantly, by 2021 – we're most likely going to have a DH in the National League. And
1: even if you don't, he can play left field just fine. And if you're watching him since August 1st, really since yeah. the All Star break, he's, some of the development they've been waiting for is actually happening.
0: Yeah, he's been hitting with authority, hitting it everywhere. Contact, too. Yeah. yeah. But uh, one thing about this group, Epstein and Hoyer, more than anyone else, from the very day they took over, the very first year they took over, and they were bringing in, you know, um, peripheral guys here and there. Their concentration on left-handed pitching, left-handed power bats, left-handed hitting, 100 percent there. Balance and a left-handed stuff. So when you have a left-handed power hitter like Schwarber, I I think he's one of the last guys they're going to trade.
1: Yeah, I I I think they're going to end up hanging on uh, hanging on to Kyle after all these years of uh, now, of uh, not some, quite reaching some the some of the potential. others
0: might go. I just think that. You know, he's going to hit close to 40 home runs this year, right? He's got three weeks left. What has he got, 34?
1: He's got 34 the most yeah. by a Cubs left-hander since Billy Williams in 1972.
0: Right. So, I mean, when people say home runs aren't that significant now because everyone hits them, it's it's not true. He He's impactful. He's going to hit, drive in somewhere between 90 95 runs. That's mm-hmm. a good year. Mm-hmm.
1: Let's uh, talk to Mark in St. Charles as we wrap up inside the clubhouse on the score. Hello, Mark.
2: Hey, I just want to talk a little White Sox baseball.
1: Yep, go ahead. Mark wanted to ask about Luis Robert. Um, what and, happened? We lose him? Yeah, there? we lost him. Um, I don't know. what I think there might have been some panic. I think he was intimidated by talking to you, Bruce. I, I think you, I think you
0: just cut him off on the phone. That's because <laughs> he only wanted to talk to you. That wouldn't be the first time that, on either that you cut him off because of that or that they wanted to talk to me. Hey, you're on in sale. Okay, thanks, Bruce. Yeah. Um,
1: hey, Bruce. Like, oh, well, you know, right I've been here. doing...
0: I was doing this show five years before you showed oh, up. Come on, and okay. You're the authority.
1: It just I, makes me laugh. No, no, but I mean, it's I our love show. It. It's your show. No, no,
0: it's not. It's I'm not just, my show. It's, I'm just a it's placeholder. Something, it's something that I've enjoyed doing with you this last year immensely. So I just want to a, talk. I just want to, want to talk to, a lot to
1: you, of fun, uh, Bruce. I just want to talk to you. Uh, what do you think? Um, all right. So tonight, um, all the right, Cubs, I would Cubs. Ask
0: your analysts about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, the Cubs and Yu Darvish here uh, against the Brewers. Uh, the Cubs desperately need to win as many of these games as humanly possible. Is he going
0: to go more than 75 pitches? Are they going to baby him because of the forearm?
1: Some of the stuff that came out here that like he was hitting a wall physically around the fifth inning for about two months. And that sometimes when you'd see Joe Madden pull him a little earlier than expected, that sometimes it was about those
0: conversations we knew nothing about. He's the most important pitcher for him because he's been their best pitcher and he has to go deep in games. And hopefully he's capable of doing that right now. Um, can he beat
1: Max Scherzer in Washington if when they play a one-game playoff? Uh, if they can do? he
0: beat it or can the offense beat Scherzer? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's questions to answer. They've
1: done it before. They beat Scherzer in Washington in a do-or-die situation. They
0: did because he came in out of the bullpen, right? Game five. Yeah. Yeah, game five bullpen. But
1: they got to him.
0: They did, barely. We thank Doug Glanville of uh, NBC Chicago Sports for adding his expertise to our show. Also, Zach Collins of the White Sox was a joy to have on. We thank Zach Withers for a job well done every single week. Matt, people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. I write about the Cubs and Sox every day, 670thescore.com. I will see you next Saturday.
1: Yes, sir. Uh, Steve Rosenblum is next, along with me, Matt Spiegel. It is the score, and Inside the Clubhouse will be back next week.